fire Hillary. Hillary, you're fired. There has never been a man or a woman, not me, not Bill, nobody, more qualified than Hillary Clinton to serve as President of the United States of America. Hillary Clinton, is she guilty or not guilty? A man you can bait with a tweet is not a man we can trust with nuclear weapons. for downloading the second part of Pod Academy's look at the 2016 American presidential elections. I'm Alex Bird. With the Democrat and Republican conventions now complete and the candidates confirmed, attention now turns to the general election. Donald Trump, the self-appointed outsider, faces Hillary Clinton, the first female presidential nominee in the history of the two main parties. Clinton is no stranger to government, however, having been the first lady of the United States, Senator for New York and Barack Obama's Secretary of State in a career of public service that spans three decades. The campaign has been vitriolic from the outset, with Trump dubbing Clinton crooked, while Democrats across the board have been quick to argue that Trump is unfit to hold the office. To predict the battle ahead, I've been speaking to Professor Peter Trubovitz, Director of the US Centre at the London School of Economics. He explains why he expects the upcoming election to be one of the most negative in U.S. history. I've written that I think this the election is going to be about war, sex, and work. Um, that is, that both of these candidates have very high negatives. Uh, they're both up well into the 50 percent, you know, kind of, you know, kind of unfavorable to favorable uh, ratio. It may not be unprecedented. There may be, I was, you know, maybe the 1968 campaign with Nixon and with, you know, Nixon Wallace, in addition to Humphrey, Nixon and Wallace may have both had unfavorables that high. I don't, I don't even think the, they were, you know, they were measuring at that point. But in any rate, very un, it, it, it's very unusual. And what that means is that both sides are going to really hammer at the other's unfavorables. And for Clinton, what that means, I think, is that she is going to go after uh, Trump on uh, something where he scores very low, which is a, a kind of sense that he is in command of the issues, that he is um, reliable, and his uh, ratings there are unbelievably low. And she's going to focus on the issue of who's got their finger on the nuclear button. And while that maybe is not quite as salient as it was in the mid-1960s, the 1964 election, when Lyndon Johnson did the same thing, when people were worried about uh, Barry Goldwater and whether Barry Goldwater could be trusted with his finger on the button because he talked loosely about nuclear weapons and using them, I think she's going to hammer that very hard and she's going to get a lot of traction. 
what Trump is going to do in return is I believe he's going to go very hard after her husband. Um, and um, I think that he, he'll be able to do two things there. He'll be able to raise issues about the Clintons and whether they can be trusted and where they've kind of taken the country before. But I think also, importantly, that's the way for Trump to remind the public that um, Hillary Clinton is not new, that she's part of the Washington establishment. By drawing the connection to the husband and to the presidency in the 1990s. Hillary Clinton has built her campaign on the promise of being the solid, reliable hand on the tiller, in contrast to the erratic and unconventional Trump. With over 20 years experience, her time in public life has not been mistake free, and she will not be able to ride the same wave of optimism and hope that carried Barack Obama to power. Her judgment and honesty have been called into question by her opponents following terrorist attacks in Benghazi in 2012 and her use of a private email server while Secretary of State. I mean, the way this game is is played as you look for your other side, the other side's vulnerabilities, and uh, you try and you try where you can to go after their strength. So her strength is, you know, she, I mean, she comes across as someone who is much more calculating and kind of steady, you know, as as you go, and uh, she'll really try to play on her experience. So I think he'll go after that and say, you know, try to say that experience doesn't equal judgment and so forth. Uh, as Bernie Sanders has done in the in the in the primary, so um, I, you know I think b both of them have room to go after the other one and to really play on the other's unfavorables. I mean her weakness, especially with young people, uh, has been that she's not uh, viewed as trustworthy. And whether that's fair or not, it's in you can see it in the poll results. And while Trump has that shortcoming as well, you know, uh, he'll go after her on that, on that dimension um, and try to drive her negatives higher. It's also a way for him to solidify Republican support. So the more he hammers away at the Clintons, the more that's like, you know, kind of red meat for the Republican base. If Clinton is successful, the Democratic Party will have won its third consecutive presidential election for only the second time in its history, thus ensuring their longest stay in the White House since the Second World War. Having served in President Obama's cabinet, Clinton risks being tarnished by the failings of the current regime and will encounter weariness from voters bored with the status quo. But she will also be able to count on the support of the leader of the free world on the campaign trail. Trump's structural advantage in the election going forward is that he's the outsider and she's the insider. In American politics, it's very unusual for the party holding power to win three terms. So that's where he'll go. Um, but, you know, Clinton has uh, an interesting, kind of like a hidden weapon here in all of this, which is Barack Obama. And he will start campaigning for her, I think, much sooner than uh, would, be, uh, would be normally the case. Um, and, you know, he's, his approval numbers are something to really keep an eye on. I mean, the, most recently, they're now above 50%. I think I saw just the other day on Gallup, they were at 52%.
you know, that's a high number in, it doesn't seem like a high number, but that's a very positive number. And normally when an incumbent president has approval numbers like that, it is good for, uh, you know, for the candidate from, from that party uh, running. So, um, and I think that she'll be able to use um, Obama also to repair, um, well, to, to try to bring younger people on board. I mean, I think he, he still has credibility with younger people. Um, in a way that, you know, again, for whatever reason, she doesn't. Um, and I think he can do a lot of the kind of, you know, can do a lot of the bridge building there for her. As the refugee crisis in the Middle East continues and the fear of domestic terrorism rises, one of the major themes of Western politics has been the growing support for isolationism and nationalism. Donald Trump has capitalized on this and has looked to move away from the traditional alliances that have been in place since the Cold War refusing to rule out using nuclear weapons in Europe, and refusing to commit to defending NATO allies in the Baltics. A recent Pew poll found that foreign policy was a key concern for 70% of voters, and the next president could completely redefine America's place in the world. There's a very heavy focus on the burdens that the United States is kind of shouldering internationally. And I think when you look at what Trump has talked about, um, it's, it's, uh, it's mostly how to kind of reduce those burdens, either by slapping tariffs on like Chinese imports or making it harder for uh, cheap labor to cross America's borders by putting up a wall um, or, um, or getting allies to pick up a larger share of the tab of, of, of collective defense. And so most of that points to some kind of a strategy of, of retrenchment. And that will cause a great deal of concern. Um, some in Europe, but I think especially in Asia, where they're already worried about that. Um, they're, they're worried about the dysfunction, the political dysfunction in the United States. They're worried about China's rise. Um, and they have a, there's a kind of sense uh, in many uh, Asian capitals that the pivot to Asia by the United States is more rhetorical than it is uh, concrete. Uh, and so Trump, in a way, kind of plays into that, into those fears and anxieties. Um, and uh, But I think kind of if you take a kind of broader view here as well, I think one of the messages of this electoral cycle uh, so far um, is that um, that the public in general wants the United States to be less engaged internationally, and this is going to be an issue for Hillary Clinton as well if she makes it. You know, if if she uh, uh, ends up uh, winning in 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 November, that she's going to have to deal with those concerns as well. And I actually, you know, I think that the challenge for uh, whoever becomes the next president is going to be one of kind of navigating the continuing international demand for U.S. leadership uh, and the declining or the erosion of uh, domestic support uh, for that. I mean, that that's really the challenge is, is dealing with the demand, a kind of uh, continued demand and shrinking supply on the, on the U.S. side in terms of kind of 
political support uh, for international engagement. And so, it'll, it, you know, I mean, I think that's over the next uh, couple of years, that is going to be the main job for uh, the next president. Since the election of George W. Bush in 2000, American politics has become increasingly polarized. Intransigence has become the defining feature, with neither side willing to work with one another, to the point where government has broken down completely, as it did in 2013. With two divisive candidates unable to command full support from within even their own party, it looks unlikely that either Trump or Clinton will be the one to reach across the aisle and heal the divides between Republicans and Democrats. It's going to be difficult for whoever wins. If this ends up being, uh, this election goes according to form, where it's, uh, it's highly polarized, uh, that you have a highly polarized electorate and that plays itself out in the election, I think it's just, it will be hard uh, for um, the next president to govern. I mean, there is a possibility uh, in this election that you get an outcome where Clinton is able to somehow cleave the Republican Party um, and pick up a lot of support. And then, you know, she might have a larger base of political support to work from. But I wouldn't predict that. I think, in, in a way, as I've, this election is a kind of referendum on like how polarized the country is. If it's truly red versus blue and very polarized, then what you should get here is an outcome with, let's say, Clinton wins the national, wins the, the presidency, but the Republicans continue to control uh, control the Congress, um, and that we have kind of uh, a dysfunctional uh, government going forward. America goes to the polls in roughly three months' time on November 12th. Current polling indicates a narrow lead for Hillary Clinton and Professor Trubovitz believes this will be borne out once the votes are counted. Uh, holding everything constant, you know, Keteras uh, Paribus, I would predict that Clinton will win. Um, I don't know by how much, but I think that that she would win. But you know, there's a lot. There's a lot of time between now and then, and you know, and there's the possibility, uh, maybe even the likelihood of a black swan. Um, a terrorist attack uh, in the United States that, um, you know, that's not clear how that plays, something like that happens. Uh, it uh, could easily help Trump. It's conceivable that it could help Clinton a lot, would depend on how uh, the scope of it and how Obama uh, responded to it. If you missed part one of this program, which discussed the rise of Donald Trump, then please visit our website at www.podacademy.org or the Pod Academy iTunes feed. You'll also be able to listen to programs on the Philippines and a lecture by Noam Chomsky. For updates, follow us on Twitter at Pod Academy. Thanks for listening.